So gents, today's episode, we've got Tony Mullen who's coming on from Green Acres. Probably a HMO, but you're spreading your risk. Um, you now, if you've got one buy to let, for instance, that's one payment. If they make, if your tenant fails to make that payment, that, that's it. That's your one kind of income. Whereas if you've got HMO where you've got maybe you know, six to nine people paying you money, if one you know, fails to make that payment, you've still got the other rate, the other five. So it's less riskier, in my opinion, for HMO. He's a specialist broker there, and we're gonna just touch this episode on everything going on with cost of living. Obviously, inflation's up to 9% as reported in the recent couple of weeks. And really just pick his brains on what's going on with trends, mortgages, and touch it around landlords, first-time landlords a little bit as well. But I think Tony doing it day to day, writing mortgages day to day, it would just be an interesting conversation to see how he's finding things, I would say. So Mike, any specific questions you're gonna throw his way? Yeah, I'm gonna do this off the back of a recent pod that Tristan and I filmed, that there's a quarter of a million less rental properties in the market than there were four or five years ago. So I, I just wanna know who right now is buying buy to lets and why? Yeah, great Simple question. Fact. Yeah, because he knows the demographic of people that's buying. So yeah, looking forward to getting stuck into that. Yourself, Tristan? Um, it'd be interesting to see what trends are going on. Like you said, we're seeing an increased number of investors out there working myself specifically, but I know others that are in similar situations, hearing it from a different opinion that's dealing with it day to day and allowing himself, what would he go for if he was to invest in a deal? So yeah, I'd just like to hear a different opinion of what's going on. Yeah, and I think for me, it'd be interesting to just put him on the spot with what he sees happening for the rest of the year, really, from just mortgages, cost of living, uh, interest rates, and, and just find out how mortgage advisors close to the ground with the un underwriters, the lenders, so what's he expecting them to do, what movers and changes are gonna happen throughout the year. So shall we get him on? Let's get him on. Okay, so thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate you being our first guest in our new office, even though the podcast week isn't quite finished yet. So we're in the lounge. Uh, first question as ever to any of our guests, what brought you into property and made you a landlord? I guess, you know, um, getting into the you know property industry, um, you know, I like dealing with people, uh, first and foremost, and helping, uh, you know, clients, my clients achieve, you know, their kind of dream goals, um, especially with the mortgage side of things. Um, and um, obviously with property, it's um, an investment for a long term. Right. Is that what you kind of thought when you went to become a landlord? You thought long term investment and you can kind of put some money into something that's going to make a long term gain? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. And for the long term. So 25 years, 30 years plus. Yeah. We talk a lot on the podcast don't we, about what people's goals are. Are they long term equity gains or are people trying to make cash monthly and then kind of repeat it down the line? Or is it a pension plan, really? And it's always quite interesting to ask people that question because you get a variety of different reasons. Yours were strategic rather than accidental, yeah. though. It was an investment that you planned. To yeah, hundred percent. I mean, twofold. So you, you, you're going to gain on the property. You know, even if property prices just increase by two percent a year. Yeah. You know, on a, you know over over thirty years, you're going to gain on that property value. Um, plus, if you know you can make overpayments on on the mortgage, so. You know, if you do come into some sort of money or reinvest the money back into the property to reduce, you know, the interest uh, repayments, um, you're going to gain there as well. Um, and obviously you've got an income, so which you can declare as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
So I think on this episode, what we really wanted to touch on, obviously being a mortgage advisor, you see firsthand what lenders are doing, what the underwriters are doing, buyer trends as well and landlord trends in terms of what type of mortgages they're looking to get. But we wanted to talk about everything going on with cost of living, everything mortgages and market really. Um, so although, yes, we're going to have a lot of conversations that are going to relate to landlords, general podcast chat in terms of market and mortgages. And one of the first things that I read today on, I think it was one of the mortgage um, news articles actually, was just around this kind of mortgage prison that might be something that people are falling into at the moment. And effectively the article stipulated that if someone's getting quite a high loan to value at the moment, there's a strong chance when the fixed term rate is up, the way criteria is set at the moment with how affordability is likely to sort of get a lot more expensive and therefore a lot more stringent, maybe people are stuck on variables. Is that something that you're kind of talking or advising around at all? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a conversation that's coming up quite, you know, quite a lot recently, especially with, you know, our compliance and the FCA are kind of pushing a lot more on, you know, a budget planner for clients to make sure that it is 100% accurate because we're not only just um, advising on today's mortgage, Mm. we want to make sure it's stressed for, you know, that at least the product term and past product term. Um, so if it's two year or five year, but generally you want to make sure it's affordable over the whole 25 years or or 35 years in some, some cases. Um, but, um, I guess with, with regards to, uh, you know, this mortgage prisoner kind of phrase, um, it's, you know, it could come under the FCA guidance of, you know, vulnerable clients. So making sure that they're treated, um, accordingly to to the guidelines effectively. Well, I think the people that probably most impact are the people that are, for example, I've got a good a good friend of mine that was talking about upsizing significantly with his family. So, you know, talking about spending seven hundred and fifty grand, fair, fair chunk up, and he was effectively saying, "Well, I'm, I'm going to wait until next month to get the dip done on the mortgage because there's a couple of bonuses coming in." I think his wife had gone from um, contractual work to permanent work. And it was it would mean that he could potentially get another 40, 50k. And I just sort of said to him, you might be able to do that now, but think about the affordability as well. Because I think sometimes we have a duty of care as people in the property industry to make sure we're giving the right long-term advice as well. And for him, it was a case of he can afford that today, but can he afford it in three years? I know when you've spoke to landlords in the past and done budget planning. That's something that at the moment I think we really as property professionals should be explaining to buyers is it might be very different in two or three years' time because of things like inflation at 9%, etc. I reckon that's probably not spoken about enough, is it, Mike? I don't think. Yeah, I think generally speaking, when you buy anything, you look at the, the here and now. Do I want it? Can I can I buy it? No one can predict the future, but you can only look at the trends, what's what's happening right now, what's happened in the last year and what's likely to happen in the next couple of years. And I think in the last, what is it, probably seven years since the mortgage market was was reviewed, there's a lot of stress testing involved. And if the landlord or the client or the buyer had a better knowledge of what those stress tests involved, they might be able to plan for themselves a little bit better on well, my buy-to-let let looks like this now, and if X, Y, and Z happens in three years, it will it will look like that. And 
a good a good mortgage broker definitely will be someone who shares that kind of information about why the the mortgage so, yeah. lender is stress testing to a certain to a certain percentage. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting you mentioned mentioned about budget planning actually because I think when I started my career in agency, the budget planner almost was a bit of a does anyone really follow it? It's kind yeah. of it's something you print out and you say, look, do that if you want to do it, but you know, whatever. Um, but now, actually, I think it's a really good document to kind of base the principle of what the goal setting needs to be before someone goes and buys an investment or or a, or a property. Yeah, and it's you know, it's it's you can pick up, you can have the budget planner in conversation. You know, you can make notes as you're going along. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what's the council tax rate of this property? You know that property. Um, and it doesn't have to be so stringent where you're, you know, sitting there filling out a document. Um, but um, yeah, it's 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 one of our compliance uh, items now that we we you know well, I've always done it anyway. So, yeah. um, but rather than just you know send it off to the client, making sure they do it. We have to make sure it's done thoroughly. So, and what about trends on buy to lets? Um, so, with mortgages at the moment, how have buy to lets sort of evolved over the course of the year with interest rates? And what kind of trends are you seeing with people from a buy-to-let mortgage perspective at the moment? Yeah, I mean, you know, overall, lending is still cheap. Yeah. Considering what it was, you know, February 2009, you know, it's still super low. Um, you know, what stifled the buy-to-let market was obviously the surcharge in the, in the 3%, um, you know, with the stamp duty. Um, but, you know, that has started to pick up, you know, since then. Um, but um, I haven't seen a slowdown this year at all, um, and even to today. You know, I've done I did three buy to lets yesterday, for instance, quite locally to Maidenhead in, in, in Berkshire. Um, I haven't seen a slowdown at all. That's interesting that that's not changed. Good news for obviously self landlord, um, landlord Tristan for landlords, um, because I would have. I would have worried if it had seen a little bit of a slowdown because there's a lot more landlords. We talk about more landlords selling than buying at the moment, but we're talking to a lot of active landlords. I mean, I did an open house on Saturday for a classic family home in Bracknell, three bed and terrace, 11 viewings, and three of them were either doing a let to buy or a buy to let. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's best part of a quarter of the viewings were actively looking landlords, which is great news for the market, I think. But that's positive. No real drop in change with the rates uh, slightly creeping up. Yeah, I mean, it's still super cheap. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, it, it depends on the landlord, obviously. You know, if they take the view that I had, where it was a long-term game, um, then I don't see why they shouldn't, you know, try and commit now rather than tomorrow mm-hmm. because today is the cheapest day it will ever be Yeah, at, at this current time. Yeah, it's a phrase we use all the time, isn't it? Cheapest day to buy a house is today. Yeah. And um, I think that will be the same for many days and weeks and months to come. I think I've stolen that off you. Take it. If everyone's saying it, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Does, yeah. yeah, use it, use it and abuse it. Happy with that. Well, now, um, now's a time of opportunity, isn't it? With with rates being so low, rents up and obviously the, the increased demand on that. There was certain one of our other podcasts um, with Matt saying about be be greedy when people are um are fearful and be fearful when people are greedy yeah and now's the time of opportunity i'd say and that, that's probably why we're seeing more increased of landlords doing let to buys buy to lets because there's great opportunities out there some great gains to be won in property over a long period of time 100 percent, because you know the other side of the, the coin as well with 
if affordability is becoming a lot more difficult for you know potential buyers, the only other option they have they can't buy is to rent. So if there's a lack of you know new buyers to the market, then they have to rent. So the rent is going to increase. Mm-hmm. So they will potentially get it that way as well. So yeah, and I think on the flip is I always say if all the landlords pull out of the market. It's not like everyone wants to buy a home. Some people want to rent. They want to keep their their cash and their equity in a business or in investments and not necessarily in property. And that lifetime renters, you know, that's a big part of the, the UK economy for that reason. And also for people that can't stay at home with parents that want to rent, just to check that if they're going to buy with a new partner or a brother or a sister that, they can actually live together okay for a exactly, year or two. Yeah, yeah. And if rents, if there's much less in terms of properties available to rent, then the price is much higher, which makes the ability for them to get on the ladder much more difficult because they can't save as much. So I, I do understand why people get frustrated with landlords, but I also think from a first-time buyer perspective, sometimes it's a little bit short-sighted because if we have more supply of landlords and buy-to-let properties available to rent, then to rent them is cheaper. It's yeah. just simple yeah. economics. Yeah. What what trends are you expecting to see just overall in the mortgage world? Talking to your colleagues, talking to underwriters, what are you expecting to see over the rest of the year? So there'll be a lot more to do with um, first-time buyers. I can see a lot more lenders now um, because of the Help to Buy scheme is coming to an end next March, I think it is. So there's going to be a lot more emphasis on first-time buyers to try and get on the property market. Mm-hmm. So the 95% mortgages, um, that sort of thing, or a mortgage guarantee. Um, so more influence on that side. Um, there's also a lot more kind of niche lenders, um, such as, say, Family Building Society, that you know they specialise in something called joint borrower, sole proprietor, which um, you can you know purchase property with say, you know, me and Mike purchase property, but you live in it and you'll be on the mortgage as well. Mm. Um, but they use our income mm-hmm. for you to go on the same application. Um, so there's a lot more of that coming to the, the market, which I see a few lenders kind of following suit with it. What end do you expect that to be? Do you expect that to be parents being the you and Mike child being me living there or the other way, people of our age bracket that have got good earnings, we'd like to think, but maybe parents that can't get a mortgage but need somewhere and actually they're living in there. Which, yeah, both. Both, both, yeah. both okay. ways, because it works. It, you know, it needs to be, I think, depending on lenders' criteria, but either immediate family, um, um, I think it does go outside of immediate family, maybe to cousins. Um, I don't, I need to double check the criteria with some lenders, but... You know, it could be friends uh, as well that could, you know, go on the mortgage. As long as they're, you know, obviously they have to, if they're on the mortgage application, they're also responsible for those, those repayments. Mm-hmm. So it's a big ask to ask your mate, Bob, yeah. down the pub. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Might be an error, that one. We'll see. And, and we, we were talking off camera about um, one of the building societies have suggested that they'll do six and a half times earnings now for, for remortgages. I'm guessing that's on residential. Yes, they haven't done anything on the buy-to-let, but it's a remortgage and it's like for like. So that's the important bit. So um, just say you were with another lender, this particular lender will allow you to switch to them, but increase your borrowing. Mm-hmm. 
um, should your income level have dropped in the past, say, two or three years. Uh So it's particularly good for, um, you know, someone that was employed that went self-employed and they then have a choice of, you know, another lender rather than their current lender. Mm. It's good that they pulled that into the market, actually, because it does... It does hopefully help people get out of that mortgage prison that we spoke about earlier as well. Um, in terms of going back on the buy-to-lets, the remortgage part for, for buy-to-let landlords, where, what advice are you giving to not necessarily the three people you did a buy-to-let for yesterday, but are, are you expecting them to take longer-term fixed? Are, you, are people taking trackers for any reason at the moment, or is that a crazy thing to do? What, what are you expecting most people to do for the rest of the year on the buy-to-lets? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's going to be the majority of buy-to-lets are, you know, predominantly interest only. Um, so that's what they'll take, you know, that kind of product out on. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't really advise a tracker rate at the moment because there is, in my opinion, I mean, loads of other people have different opinions, but it's not going to go lower. Mm, yeah. It, you know, it potentially could go up a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I probably advise against the tracker. Um, so fixing the best, you know, borrowing is five years for you know buy to lets um, and and the remortgage of them. And who's tradition? Who's out there buying buy to lets at the moment? Is there a specific type of person? Is it a really narrow demographic of people, or is it just? Absolutely anyone. It's it's absolutely anyone. I've, I've you know one of the three yesterday was a first time ta- first time landlord, first time buyer. Um, so they're currently renting. So they're you know buying a property, renting it out, and that's the first time they bought a property. Um, and there's only a few lenders that actually. Do I was going to that. say that's that's a fascinating subject yeah, in itself. Exactly. There's only it's, a few it's lenders. Something I've absolutely screamed about for probably yeah. ten years. If you live with your parents and earn a good living, but you are on a sole income so you can't go out and buy the type of flat or house you want the best way to get on the property ladder is to buy a buy to let and it starts paying you whilst you're living at home you can use that equity growth to go and actually buy the house you want in five years time but lenders have traditionally blocked that right they have being first-time buyers no you know they've got no track record of being a landlord so that's kind of their risk uh, factor um but there's a there's a few lenders that do do it which is which is good for someone like me because you know I've got over a hundred UK lenders that I can actually look at, and there's I've got you know five or six different lenders that are exclusive to us as well, mm-hmm. you know really niche um, niche lenders. So, but yeah, one was first time uh, buyer, first time landlord. A, a second uh, one, he um, sorry he and she um, taking equity out of their property. They've already got two other buy to lets, so. They've seen an opportunity and they want to jump on it. Mm. Um, and one has, he's got a portfolio. So a portfolio of five different properties. So it is really a mixed bag, in, yeah. you know, in that in that sense. So it's really hard to pinpoint who's actually potentially going out and buying all the, you know, for that really. Have but, you typically seen an increase of people buying under limited companies in the last year or so? Yes, or, yes. And do you see that continuing over the, the next sort of 12 months or so? Is there Potentially. I mean, uh, they would need to seek advice from you know an accountant on that. Um, that's something I can't really give advice on. Um, but there are, you know, positives in a special purpose vehicle, um, such as that limited company. Um, but I have seen an increase in it. So they're getting good advice in my opinion. 
I think as well with the um, with the landlord element of things, it's interesting what you said about um, family couple, you know, husband and wife, I would, by the sounds of it, that are looking at pulling equity out of their residential home to invest. In this case, they've already got two buy-to-lets, so they feel comfortable doing it because they know what they're doing. We're meeting a client tomorrow in here that's looking to do exactly that. They, they've seen you know, their house price probably in the last 24 months go up somewhere around 20%. And if you've got a decent four-bed detached family home, that's that's a fair chunk of cash that has yeah. gone up. So they've thought, right, well, you know, it's less monthly cost at the moment than what it was 24 months ago. We've got 20% more equity that's pulled 20% out. doesn't cost us any different. And we've got an investment, especially if you do it on an interest only, an investment that might have a £400 a month mortgage that's making you a grand a month or rent a grand a month, you know, you 500, 450 pounds net gain at the end of it. Why wouldn't you do that two or three times over if you can? So I think we're now potentially going to see that becoming a bit of a trend as people realise we've got a lot of cash in our in our bank, Absolutely. in our property. It's the perfect case house. study, yeah. I guess, yeah. those those three people. Yeah. The, 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 first, the, the first time buyer, buy to let person, whoever you are, I love you. I think you're doing the best. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Um, and I think I'd love to go into schools and universities to tell people to do that. The second people, they just understand they've made a potload of money for doing nothing in 2021, 2022. They're probably the, the poster boys of the COVID era. Um, and rather than go and put a Range Rover on the drive, they're going to add another property for free because that's what, you know, they're... they're yeah. They won't put any of their own cash in. They'll just take money out of the properties and, and put another one in the line, which will benefit their family no end. And then the third is is your classic buy to let, who's just every couple of years just adding another property to the to the portfolio to make it work. So it's a really good. It's just a perfect example of who's out there buying, why they're doing it, what the motivations are. Is just is is just exemplary of, of why people do it. Mm. You know, like you touched on, you know, going into schools and educating because, you know, we no one's taught that at that no. level. And it does, you know, and that's another reason why I kind of wanted to get into this industry. I mean, the stuff I learned, um, you know, doing my studies to be, you know, qualified was like, why doesn't everyone know this? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's amazing, it's like, isn't it? Yeah. You know, an SVR, you know, um, standard variable rate. You know, I've got, I had a client three weeks ago. I was like, so when, you know, He's looking to buy a new property. Um, I was like, when, what, you know, when's your current um, uh, product up? He was like, oh, it was up in January. I'm like, five minutes, and I literally switched his product, and I worked out it's like fifteen hundred pounds I saved him over six, to, you know, six months. Before, you know, when he sells his property eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just little things like that, and you know, I think I I fell victim to that myself with my mortgage broker. You know. He didn't. He wasn't proactive. He didn't contact me prior to you know going up. And I suppose you know lives get so busy. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, my mortgage just payments. You know, even if you look at your bank accounts, yeah, you yeah. know, some people don't even you know look at their bank accounts. But you know, you don't maybe realize it's you know two hundred pounds has come out that it didn't last month. Yeah, and it's because of the standard variable. I've done it in my life. Yeah, with a property, it just went on to it for about four months. So I just didn't yeah. realize. I was paying about one hundred and eighty pounds a month more. And just didn't realise because yeah. life is busy and you're doing this, you're doing that, you know, you work, you're under pressure for here, that and the other. And it, it just, I just didn't realise it had happened. And yeah, it's easily done. And I think that's the difference between 
where you're actually talking to a proper mortgage advisor that's going to be proactive and work with you is really important. And we often talk on this podcast don't we, about the right power team and having the right broker that you click with. The communication channel this in this day and age as well, it needs to be, you know, really punctual. WhatsApp, however you want to talk, email, whatever it may be, but just in a in a much more modern way. And I think there's there's a new generation of landlords clearly coming to the market. Yeah. And the older generation, I don't mean by age, but historic landlords that have, have been in the game for, you know, 20, 30 odd years, they seem to be the, the ones that are potentially selling up now and actually calling it a day. Maybe legislation's got a bit tricky for them, maybe the stress test and whatever it may be, there's reasons why they're gearing for retirement and things like that. And they're just thinking, let's cash in on the asset now. And there's this new batch of people coming through, which... I think there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast, actually, are probably that group of people, but very interesting. Without putting you on the spot, but just talking roughly on numbers, what's kind of a typical good 75% loan-to-value buy-to-let product that's on the market at the moment for just a standard kind of freehold purchase? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, January sub 1%. You know, it's, it's gone up quite a bit since then. Um, obviously, with the Bank of England increasing... What three three times since then? Yeah, um, two or three times. Um, so you're you're looking anywhere between, you know, two point two and two point five. Uh, but again, it, t- it depends on the situation. So the actual um, applicant. So for a first time buyer, first time landlord, their criteria is different. The lender will be different. Um, so you're looking a bit more for that sort of um, that applicant, mm-hmm. whereas you're kind of standard like you said you're looking pushing two and a half and is that it's a bit more for a first-time landlord just because the 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 lender doesn't have the same level of confidence in them so yeah i mean lenders i mean i always say to your clients you know lenders will always look at the applicants as how risky are they yeah you know are they are they able to kind of afford to pay me back or you know what's the likelihood we're gonna have to repossess this property um so if it's slightly, you know, more of a risk for the client, the interest rate will be higher mm-hmm. um, in that sense. Also, if it's a niche product, so first-time borrower, first-time buyer, you know, there's not a lot of lenders that do that. Mm-hmm. So, the you know, the, the actual market is reduced. Yeah. So, not everyone's doing it. So, yeah. there's not a lot of competition for it. Um, so, they've only got three or four different lenders they'll be facing. Interesting stuff. And I guess that those early twos, when you put that into perspective... Some people have had some some good luck, haven't they, over the last 24 months? But as long as we've been doing it, that's a really decent rate, to be fair. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've re- last remortgaged one of my buy-to-lets about four years ago, just under two and a half. So we're now back to two and a half. So we're at square one. And as you say, in, in the meantime, a few people have had an absolute bonanza yeah. where they've been able to lock their mortgage rates at one to one and a half percent. And fair play to them. But a 2.5% mortgage rate on an interest-only mortgage when you're paying 25% plus as your deposit means you cannot fail but make a profit on your buy-to-let property. There is no way it can't function in in that way. So there's still a long way to go with interest rates until it means that it's difficult for landlords. Interesting stuff. Cool. So going on to quickfire then, um, this is where an opportunity for you to take off your business sort of hat and give your personal opinion on where you see things. So no pressure. Um, but the first one is, what happens next in the property market? 
I guess your standard answer is, you know, no one can see in the future. So, you know, no one saw the um, the crash in 2008, 2009, apart from a few people if you've seen the films. Um, great but film, I add. <laughs> it's a great film. But, you know, it, it's very difficult. I can see personally that the interest rate will continue to increase maybe another two or three times. Um to try and curb uh, inflation. I mean, I can see the cost of borrowing getting a bit more expensive. And do you think that will negatively impact the market or do you think that will just level it off? I, I think it should level it off, mm -hmm. certainly. Yeah, okay. And I understand you're already a landlord today, but if you was into investing in another buy-to-let deal, what does that perfect deal look like to you? In what sense? So if you was to invest in a property tomorrow, yeah. your next buy-to-let, what does that look like to you? So would it be a HMO? Would it be a f family home? Oh, okay, good. Would you be looking for cash flow? Good question. Probably a HMO. Um, because you're, um, I mean, someone pointed this out to me the other day and I was like, why didn't I see that? <laughs> you know, you're spreading your risk. You know, if you've got one buy-to-let, for instance, that's one payment. If they make, if your tenant fails to make that payment, that, that's it. That's your one kind of income. Whereas if you've got an HMO where you've got maybe, I don't know, six to nine people paying you money, if one, you know, fails to make that payment, you've still got the other rate or the other five. So it's less riskier, in my opinion, for HMO. That's yeah. a great outlook on it. It's fascinating way of spinning um, it. Because yeah, pe exactly. people look at it as risk of, oh, people are moving in and out. People, people might care about it. People might not look after it. But from a financial point of view, yeah, you're you're betting on six horses yeah. rather than the favourite. Yeah, mm. eggs in the basket. Yeah, especially analogy. you know going through the COVID. You mm. know when people did struggle to potentially make payments to, to landlords uh, and things like that. So mm. um, who knows if something like that ever ever is going to happen again? But it's it's a less riskier uh, view on things, in my opinion. I think the average HMO, let's say if it's got six rooms. Hits base level cost at about three tenants, about fifty percent opportunity. So it's a great point to say if you've got five in there, one void and one doesn't pay, and you've got four, you're still up. But if you've got one tenant in your, you know, three bed property that's the earner, and they've been made redundant and they can't pay, well, you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um, it doesn't happen every day, but it, it, often. If you were talking to a community of investors, the HMO would seem like the more risky investment. But when you flip it in that way, which I haven't heard said before, actually, is is quite an interesting way of looking yeah. at it as being more secure. It's yeah. definitely the first time I've heard that. But yeah. then if you do a standard of, of like pizza HMO on steroids, mm. yeah, it's quite a high occupancy rate <laughs> and uh, an, a nice long term yeah. let as well. So you could be winning if you have full occupancy. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Very definitely. Yeah. And that brings me on to my final question then. If you can give the best single piece of advice to a first-time landlord, what would that be? Sounds like you might have did it. Yes, might have done it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> best single piece of advice is to obviously make sure you have the best mortgage broker. Myself, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but aside from that, is is it is getting the right people around you, you know, to help you make those decisions. You know, so it is getting a good mortgage advisor. It is getting a good estate agent. Um, a good set, you know, set of solicitors that can do all the conveyancing. So, you know, those three, three players in, you know, that will educate that person in what, what to actually do. 
it's consultancy, isn't it? And, yeah. and we've mentioned it so many times that if you pay a little bit more for the right person, you're not paying for that transaction. You're not paying you to do a mortgage transaction when you look at it as a single entity. You're paying for the advice, the experience, yeah. the knowledge to be shared with you that you're going to use for the rest of your life. And that's why I think schools, you know, we, we've mentioned schools. Um, I'm lucky enough that I'm actually going into a school next month oh, amazing, in Crowthorne yeah. yeah. to teach, uh, I think I've got about 25 minutes, half an hour to teach 16 year olds property in, in half an hour. So it's going to be hectic, but they should know more about that. You know, the curriculum should bring that type of life skill in. And I've said to, um, to the head of the sixth form, they should get an accountant in, they should get a mortgage advisor in, they should teach people mortgages, they should teach people how to start a business, they should teach people this in school because I, I wasn't thinking about that. You know, I got I got straight into my, my job first time round and what's the first thing you do when you get a bit of cash? You buy a nice car. What does the car do the next day? It goes down in value. And that's the first thing we've all done, you know, especially as, you know, sort of young guys as we would have been coming out of school you want to show off your car don't you it's, it's one of the first things you do so yeah i think um a really valid point and it's been um great having you on so i appreciate you coming on tony thank you oh, for thank your you uh, for your insight and your sort of honest view on things as well and uh hopefully the listeners have uh, enjoyed the conversation if people want to get in touch with you we'll put all the details within the podcast and stuff like that what's the best communication for you mobile email what's yeah mobile whatsapp facetime Skype, yeah. <laughs> whatever medium you want, Zoom, yeah. Google Hangout. <laughs> yeah, Everything and anything. Everything, yeah. Yeah, love that. Thank you for your time. No problem at all, thank you. So chaps, Tony's gone. What a great episode. Covering a lot, like he said, the cost of living, how things are changing and, and where the mortgage world is going. But coming over to you, Mike, what did you take away from that? Um, I'm pleased to hear that he's managing to get mortgages for people to buy to let when they're not a homeowner already. It's always been a massive bugbear of mine. You might have listened, you might have heard that, you might have heard my relief and my absolute joy that someone's managed to get one of those mortgages through, that some lenders are actually listening and thinking, this is actually a good idea because a lot of deposits going down is a very profitable thing to do yeah. and it's a good idea and the history of being a landlord is totally irrelevant to that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I enjoyed just, I wanted to just have a general conversation. We've had some mortgage advisors on and we've gone down specific routes of the industry, but just a general chat with a mortgage advisor, all things mortgages and market related. And it's good from, from Tony's perspective, just to get that. I think he's confident, but he's also realistic. There was no forced sale in the market. And sometimes when you sit there and someone says overconfidently, we expect X, Y, and Z to happen you have to sort of just sit back a little bit, but it was very forthcoming in how he felt things would be. He's very um, confident that interest rates are gonna climb again uh, from a base rate point of view, which I think is a logical explanation to what might happen off the back of inflation. And I think it was just interesting to get his perspective on things. But one thing that stood out to me, you always get a golden nugget thing that just sits in the back of your mind. and it was that HMO conversation sort of just over halfway, whereas he felt the HMO was the more secure asset to purchase because you're putting six eggs in a basket and if one of them breaks, you've still got five. Whereas if you've just got the single paying uh, tenant in a, in a rental and they can't, 
then you're kind of in trouble. So it's just, it changed my perspective of a HMO very quickly. Something, he, something we learned last week on a course, your perception is your reality. Yeah. Right. And that's something that was drilled into us over two days. Nothing, this course, nothing to do with property, all about mental health. Your perception is your reality. Yeah. Our perception about HMO personally is that it's risky mm. because it's the high return, high risk end of the market. Yeah. His perception is I'm spreading my risk across four or five different people. So his reality is that's a lower risk yeah. because he's looking purely on the spreadsheet a bit, which is fascinating. Yeah. And I think we, you know, when we're talking on the Peter Licarinas podcast about HMOs, you can see the passion and the confidence that he's got in them. When you do them right, you look after your tenants, you set them up so they look fantastic, like a boutique hotel. Then the occupancy rate in one of his was 24 months, you know, and still going full occupancy. So maybe it's time that actually the perception and the reality of HMOs is, is articulated a little bit better and there's a bit more tuition going into that on the average landlord, really. What about yourself, Tristan? Yeah, I think it depends on, going back to the HMO, it depends on the way you look at it. Like you said, many other people would be scared to go into the HMO route and clearly mm. his perspective on that was totally different from that. I think it was good to have a catch both overall. You've both mentioned both the things that stood out to me, but in particular, just knowing what's going on within the marketplace um, as a landlord himself as well and what he would look to invest if he was to buy a deal. The HMO was the, the one thing that I took out of that for definite as well. But yeah, great episode. Lots of stuff to take away from that. And I'm sure the listeners that are, are listening in as well are taking a lot of as, away. Um, but as ever, if they have any questions for myself, Ian or Mike or Tony, then reach out to us on socials, um, which is at the landlord page. Until next time, guys. Yeah, see you next Friday. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year, yeah. but why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital gains yeah. tax, and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.